Please keep your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews. We will get to the verses that were read. We will start in Hebrews chapter 11 with the first verses there and go as far as we can and then end with the ones in Hebrews chapter 12. Our focus this morning is faith, believing God. Um, Is faith something that we just claim? Is it some sort of mystical feeling? Some sort of wishful thinking? Do we ever take a cue from the early disciples who had two things that as they spent time with Jesus, they said, teach us to pray, and Lord, increase our faith. So many times in my earlier experience, I've listened to messages or read messages on faith, and it would be mostly about how to get something, praying for something, having faith to get something. Believing God for something. Well, the Word of God clears all of that up for us in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, where we can see the focus of faith. I'm not saying that we should never pray for something, but we must put our priority where God puts it. So let's look at these verses and see how the Spirit of God will unfold things for us this morning. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God to open our understanding. Give us your clear insight. We thank you for the clarity of these verses that repeatedly give us a most important message about faith. Help us, Father, to receive your word and to go out and to live it in Jesus' name. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we can see, and as most of us already know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. We refer to these people many times as the heroes of the faith. And we are told from the verses that we read in chapter 12 that in light of all of this, we are to strip off uh, everything that hinders us. Uh, We are to especially strip off sin, which does so easily uh, get a hold of us. And we are to run with endurance, the race that God has called us to, with our eyes on Jesus. As important as it is to look at the verses that we have in chapter 11, the ultimate reality is to put our eyes on Jesus because he is the author, he is the cause, he is the completer of our faith. He's the one upon uh, whom our faith depends from start to finish. So, now, briefly, I'll just would say the Bible also records... Uh, faith failures. 
Uh, and it's much of the Old Testament is an unfolding of faith failures. And it is summarized in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 12, that we have often looked at. And the Holy Spirit brings together from the entire Old Testament five primary sins that the ancient people of God fell with. They fell into lust, fell into idolatry, fell into all manner of sex sins, fell into tempting or testing the patience of God, and fell into murmuring. And so they were warned, and they did it anyway. And then the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to say that all of this has been recorded for our benefit upon whom the ends of the world have come. So the Spirit of God alerts us that we are susceptible in a primary way to the same sins that ancient Israel fell with. uh, And uh, this was just simply faith failures. Whenever there is a falling into sin, it is a faith failure. But this morning we want to surround ourselves with faith successes. Uh, We'll see what faith is not. We'll see that it's not some conjured up feeling. It's not all about uh, getting something. I've shared with you before, when I first came here, there was a cassette tape back in that day, uh, passing around, frankly, all over the United States from some guy who had spoken up at Thomas Road Baptist Church which was really going strong in those days. And this fellow, who happened to be a Nazarene pastor, spoke in that church and talked about how that uh, he, he read the scripture from, from Luke that talks about when things are shaken down and pouring together and all of this. And I don't have that in front of me at this time. But the point was, every illustration he gave was about something he prayed for and something he got, something he claimed, something he um, believed God for. And so people were left, well, if I'm going to grow in faith, I've got to believe God for something. We've got to claim something. We've got to walk around this building and claim this building or claim this plot of land or claim a new car or claim this, claim that. And he was very persuasive. Well, there's none of that in Hebrews chapter 11. It's it's not that sort of thing at all. Faith, rather, is acting upon the word of God in obedience. That's not something that we don't know. I bet if I'd asked for a definition of faith, many of you would have said, faith is believing God. Faith is acting upon the word of God in obedience. But can we also say, I don't need this? Just rip Revelation, uh, rip Hebrews 11 out. I've got it. Or just uh, clip it together. I, I, I can skip that chapter. Probably not a chapter that would benefit, not a chapter that would benefit us much more than to look at the examples of those who have gone before us who walked by faith, walked in obedience, walked in personal trust to God. So we start with Abel. Verse 4, by Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he obtained witnesses that he was righteous, God testifying to his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Now, our purpose in going through this is to glean something about the faith of each one of these people, and that to be our focus. There's much here. You could spend several messages just on Abel. But our purpose is to look for how these people expressed faith. What did living by faith mean to them? Well, when you look at the account in the book of Genesis with Abel, we have to come to this conclusion that living by faith means that we worship God on his terms, not ours. The Bible is filled with people who set out to worship God according to their own understanding, according to their culture, according to what they liked, and we don't like this, and so we're going to substitute our own. And it never turns out good. But when you look at Abel, he simply knew what God wanted. He, in obedience to revelation, he offered to God worship. And we glean from the whole of Scripture that he understood that we've got a whole Bible that talks to us about the substitutionary satisfaction that comes through the blood of Christ. And so that's the way he went. And anything else would be rejected because it is not in obedience to divine revelation. It's not rocket science. It's a matter of believing God. Abel's offering is in agreement with the whole Bible that sinful man can only relate to a holy God by a blood sacrifice. How many times have we, even in this past week, tried to relate to God and we bypassed Calvary? We failed the Lord in some way because we were not as Christ conscious as we should have been. And then we tried to earn our way back to God or we felt like we could not pray or could not uh, come to the Lord's table or could not read our Bible. Uh, uh, We could not forgive ourselves instead of resting in God's forgiveness. These common uh, experiences uh, rule the hearts of many people. Uh, God is the source of faith. The Bible is clear on that. And living by faith means that we do not worship God on our terms but on his. Now in verses 5 and 6, we deal with Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch pleased God. It's a powerful concept. It's not uh, convoluted. It's not strange or weird. Uh, Have you ever noticed that we always have a real strong tendency to please the ones that we love And have you ever noticed that sometimes 
we are quick to say, oh, I love so-and-so. But we are not living to please them. We're not living to honor them. But we're quick to claim that we love them. Husbands, love your wives. Of course I love my wife. But you're not loving her as Christ loved the church. In other words, when we're called to please, we're called to love, and we say that we do, but we don't, you know what the real issue is? We love ourselves. And, and that's, the, that's the, the focus of the last days found in First Timothy. Lovers of self more than lovers of God. Not atheists. Not even agnostics. But lovers of self. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Jesus has made this very plain. If you love me, you will obey what I command. I've had several people over the years would tell me, I I, I knew by their testimony that they were living in sin. And then they said, oh, but I love God. And then there have been times in my own life, I bet there have been times in your life when... uh, you were struggling, not just struggling, but you had given in to some sin. But if someone asked you, do you love God? Oh, yes, I, lo- I love God. Be careful what we say. We need to speak the truth. Now, we love him because he first loved us. That's how you can love him. That's why you will love him in the, in the first place. In First Thessalonians 4, 1, For the rest, then, my brothers, we beseech you and exhort you, in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. So it's a good thing, according to the scripture, to be one who, by the grace of God, you know that the Christian life is to be a life of pleasing God, not self. And yet we need this reminder It's easy to love self more than God. Do you love your wife, your husband, your children, your parents? Yes. Are we honoring God and obeying them or honoring them, whatever the situation calls for? Living by faith means that our growing passion is to please God. What is our tendency? I want to please myself. That's why we have conflict. You have two people and both of them want, I want you to please me. Well, I want you to please me. Living by faith means that our growing master passion is to please God. And we're never going to significantly or consistently win the, the uh, horizontal battle if we're not feeding our faith on the vertical call to worship God, to know God, to sit at his feet, to heed the first verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So then, 
in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness according to faith. So living by faith means that we heed the warnings of God even when there is nothing in the surrounding culture or experience that reveals or agrees that the warnings are valid. Do we get our feelings and opinions and ideas about how to respond and plan for tomorrow by the news that's on the television or from some other media? and yet we are ignorant of what God says? Do you remember that Jesus tells us in plain language there are certain attitudes and actions and trends that are going to be prevalent and they'll ebb and flow, but they're going to be this way until Jesus comes and they'll get worse and worse. But in the midst of that, he doesn't say go and hide. Nothing wrong with being prudent, but your focus is not to save your life, to, to have a, a place hid somewhere so if bad times come, you, you're going to have enough of me, mine, mine, and if you come try to get it, you, you, you'll, you'll face fire. Because I'm armed. A lot of people are doing that out of fear of what's coming. What Jesus said, all this stuff is coming, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. He says, be about kingdom business. Keep planting, keep planting gospel seed until he comes. Living by faith. The New Testament is filled with warnings and exhortations of things to put off, things to put on, commands to heed. Living by faith means that we heed the warnings of God, the teaching of God. And when there's nothing else in culture, hey Noah, you're building an ark on this dry ground? You're speaking of rain? It's never, what is that? We've never had that before. It may not be that dramatic, but living by faith is believing God, believing what God says. Not living on our, the best guess of the, the people who are so bold to get on television and tell you this is happening and this is happening and, and so forth. In Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10, this, we come to Abraham. By Abraham, faith obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, there is a possibility of being foolish. You get in your car, and I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> well, you'll never arrive, will you? Uh, God is not talking about asking you or I to be foolish. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew God said to go, and he was heeding God. And so, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promises, for he waited for the city, 
which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Living by faith means embracing the guidance of God given in his word without demanding to know the end from the beginning. Or even, even though my, my flesh doesn't agree with it, if this is what God's word says, then this is, this is what I need to do. We, we tend, and we did this this morning in Sunday school, and not necessarily in a bad way, but we want, why did God do it this way? Well, if I could understand why God did this, 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 the way he did it, then I'd be God. <laughs> His ways are above our ways. But what he's told us to do, what he's told us that he has done and is doing and will do it is plain. Living by faith is believing God, simply acting upon what God says. If you're expecting me to change from person to person, you're not, because it's <laughs> what living by faith is. It's believing God. What did God say? Now, let's obey. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, we come to Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead was, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude in innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So living by faith means that we trust in the promises of God. The Bible is full of promises, isn't it? What a blessed thing. Full of commandments? That's good. His commandments are good. Uh, they'll never lead you down a blind alley. But oh, how full the Bible is of promises. And we look at them and we say, yeah, how's that going to be? I don't know. How are you going to have a child? I don't know. But she had a specific promise from God. So in spite of human limitation, because we trust God who gave the promises. Many people have, ex have been used of God to expand the kingdom to places where the gospel is never heard because they were simply obeying the gospel to take the gospel and they did not know how it was going to happen. Uh, There's so many illustrations from history on that. In verse 13, interesting point here, these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you know something that you and I need very strongly to see, to be assured of, to embrace, and to confess? What did we sing about this morning? Second coming. The Lord is coming back. And we get sidetracked on, well, is it going to be this way or that way, or pre-trib, no-trib, mid-trib, uh, 
all these things that we get off balance and off base from the calling to embrace he's coming. And we have work to do until he comes. Isn't that what matters? We're called to receive these promises. We're called, having seen them afar off, to be assured of them. God said it. To embrace them, to confess. And it leads us to a wonderful place where we are pilgrims on the earth. Living by faith means confessing that we are pilgrims on the earth, aliens in a foreign country. And so we live according to the standards of the heavenly kingdom and not according to the standards of the worldly kingdom. The worldly kingdom is passing away. You see how important living by faith is on practical, everyday Christian living. Verse 14, and those who say such things, notice this is confession, open confession that we are to make. For those who say such things plainly declare that they seek a homeland. It doesn't mean you can't go to work tomorrow and be faithful to your work and do the very best job you can. But that's not why you live. That's not why you're here. That's a part of your mission field. And truly, if they had called to mind, verse 15, that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Many opportunities to go back. When you first became a Christian, did you face an onslaught of opportunities to go back to the world? Have you become so sanctified, and I hope you are, but I'm a little bit doubtful, that you never have a temptation to go back to something of the old life? Maybe many things are a piece of cake, but others aren't. There have been men who've gone before us who are great men, and I would not dare to say I'm greater than they, who would ever have dreamed that King David would have done what he did. I might could understand Samson. He, a little bit iffy on back and forth and not sold out. Who can be assured that given the circumstances of Joseph, would you have run? Well, if we are sure that we're not home yet and we're living to please the king of the kingdom who has come and established his kingdom here yet except in and through your life, uh, you're not susceptible. Heaven is a prepared place for people, for people not at home here on earth. 
It's easy in America, with the blessings that we have, to get too much at home here on earth. Living by faith means I'm not home yet. I'm in a foreign land. I'm an ambassador. Any of you have a bucket list? People always talk about their bucket list. And online, put, put all your bucket list things that you've done and the ones you haven't done. Uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to do that, but I'm yet to see anybody with a bucket list of things that are compelled and desiring and God wants, in order to please God, here are things that I'm working on, here are things that by the grace of God I've, I've done and I'm keep on, I'll keep on doing it by his grace and, and there are things here, I haven't even got to those yet. Look at your bucket list. It might reveal something about your heart. It might reveal that you're too much at home in this passing, fleeting world. We live in a world of stuff. I'll give you the words of William John from India, who, in his first trip to India, I've said this a number of times. It comes to mind to say it again. After being a few weeks in the States, he stood in this pulpit and said, All of you who have children, please send them to India. There's too much stuff over here for your children to grow up and serve the Lord. You can walk into the houses of many people in trying to do, uh, have a way to get an inroad into homes. We, uh, in December of several years, we, we participated in a program where we were taking gifts to the children whose parents were in prison. And uh, we got a list of families, and families bought all kinds of gifts, and there are numbers of us who went to all these houses to deliver these gifts. Our primary hope was to share the gospel. We were stunned to find out when we walked in the door, you almost had to find a way in because there was stuff everywhere. Toys everywhere. These are poor people. And they all seem to have a church. Might not be attending, but they... Oh, we know Jesus. We, we, yes, we know the gospel. Blinded. It's the world we live in. It's not easy to be a Christian in America. Because of stuff. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to the kingdom of heaven. I don't think it's... You're going against the stream no matter where you live. But heavenly mindedness will help keep me to be a, a place where I'm of earthly good and will also purify me. Looking for his coming. Now, once again, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 through 22, Abraham, by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, 
of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, and by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Living by faith means to make decisions in this present life on the basis of the unfolding promises of God for now and the future. What unfolding promises of God are we holding on to and confessing? What future promises of God are so important to us and so certain to us that our present choices are being influenced? Well, I can't do that. I can't spend that money for that. I can't go there, do whatever. Uh, I, I need to work on my priorities because this is not my home. And I have an assignment to be on mission for Christ. And I'm longing for his coming. And I'm finding that his coming is a purifying hope, First John 3, 1 through 3. In verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Living by faith means doing God's will and that God's will, God's purposes, get first place even though it's costly. When you read that account, you you don't see the parents of Moses being on some sort of crusade of rebellion against the government. They were just quietly seeking to obey the Lord and willing to take whatever consequences. Verse 24 through 27, Moses, by faith, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God and to, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. In esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was strengthened in his endurance by his vision of the invisible God. The Bible is filled with revelation about the nature of God, the attributes of God, the redemptive names of God, the the many different names of God. The Bible has been given that we might know the God of the Bible. So, is bowing to a higher authority? It is bowing to... Living by faith is bowing to a higher authority when man's commands conflict with God's, bowing to God's higher authority. It means that one remains consistent and persevering in spite of hardship because of our passion 
to please the Lord. Willing to be identified with God's people regardless of the outcome. It is seeing disgrace for the sake of Christ as worth more than temporal rewards. We'll pause there and close by going straight over to Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, therefore we also, this is not just a history lesson. Oh, they did some exciting things back there. They had some amazing experiences. No, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weed and the uh, every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the, page, the, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Oh, you mean we're dealing with that? There's not a single one of us here, but from time to time, maybe a lot of times, we grow weary and discouraged in our souls. Here's God's medicine. Here's God's food. Here's God's strengthening exhortation. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Look at him. The whole New Testament especially is unfolding him. The whole Bible unfolds him. But look at him. Well, I'm facing so and so and so and so and so and so. Look at Jesus. But I'm not Jesus. Okay. No confusion there. Nobody's thinking you or I are Jesus. But the Holy Spirit says, look at him. For he was tempted and tested in all the points as we yet without sin. The man Christ Jesus lived as a man, as God intended man to live. He did not draw upon his divine resources in order to live that life. He lived a life of utter dependence upon his Father for all things. Look at him. He endured such hostility, rejection, hatred. How could he from the cross cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Because he, he was listening, he'd always been listening to his father's voice. And he saw that beyond this, oh yes, despising the shame For the joy that was set before him. The joy of knowing that from following Jesus. From following his father's will. That there would be many souls saved. And for all eternity. He turned to the book of Revelation. And it's a glorious unveiling. Of the worship. Of the masses who have been redeemed. Worshiping the lamb. Looking unto Jesus lest you have wearied in your souls. You don't know how much I'm suffering. I don't. Let me tell you something else. You don't know what I've faced either. 
We always think the other person has it easy. And we've got it harder than anybody else. But you and I have a, have a little thing set before us here that we need to hear. Have you have not yet resisted unto bloodshed, striving against sin. You and I have not begun to use all of the strength and valor and resources that we have in Christ to win spiritual battles. Be done with excuses. And let's get on with living to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply by living by faith. And if you're here and you've never placed your life into the hands of Jesus. I was talking to Randy McReynolds yesterday and he said, you know, my father often sang his faith. He wrote the song, Jesus is the key to the kingdom, the propitiation for all sin. No way to get to heaven except by him. Down in Georgia at the, after the funeral, somehow or another it came up and I made mention that this, going home to see this fellow who was at the point of death and he wrote this wonderful hymn, Jesus is the key to the kingdom, the propitiation for all sin. And this guy who is highly educated, been in church all of his life, he said, Propitiation? What is that? Would you explain that? And I had the opportunity to say, well, Jesus came and paid your sin debt. And the Father's wrath against your sin was satisfied by what Jesus did at Calvary. We have so many resources and these chapters, these verses remind us, let's stop making excuses for weak Christian living. Let's stop being deceived by all of the stuff that's all around us. Let's start pouring our lives into the word of God that we might be rooted and grounded in him and powerfully able to be used as we go forth in this coming week. There are people all around us they're not just weak and confused. They're deceived. They need Jesus. They, they need somebody to model walking in the steps of Jesus. Let it be you and I. Our Father, we, we give you thanks for this great cloud of witnesses. We give you thanks most of all for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the sin debt for sinners. We pray that there might be some here, even today, convicted of their sin, knowing their need of the Savior, knowing that Jesus is the only Savior. And may this be a day of coming to faith in Christ. May this be a day of hearts being opened by the amazing grace of God. May this be a day in which your children, your redeemed children, are rejoicing and encouraged to walk in faith. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.